Father, we thank you so much that we can come with the confidence that you have paid it all, that all of our debt, all our offenses, all our mistakes, all our frustrations, all our failures, you took them to the cross and you paid them all. And we can stand in front of a holy God in front of a perfect God, we can stand in confidence, not in fear, not afraid that, that we come short or that we don't measure up because we are dressed in the righteousness of Jesus, given to us by grace. So we lift our heads and we say, thank you. Thank you, God, for our forgiveness. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for our hope. And as we worship you through our song and through our giving now, we open our hearts to your word. Would you speak to us, God? We believe that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's a living book. It's not just a book of stories, but it's your word. So we pray that you speak to us today, that your spirit will illumine our minds that your spirit will anoint this servant of yours to speak words that come from you, that our hearts will receive it, that we'll be encouraged, inspired, that we'll be convicted, that we'll be challenged, and that your word will go out and do what it's meant to do, to redeem, to transform, to change, to save, like only you can. We trust you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have a couple of friends uh, here at Calvary, and I just have to confess that sometimes there's a little bit of envy that creeps up in my life, and I repent of it, but um, there are guys uh, that I know that have man caves. Now, you know, uh, if, if ever I'm going to drool, he's there. You know, and I don't know if you know what a man cave is, but a man cave is is this room in the house that is just for the guy. It's just for the man. It usually has comfy chairs, and it has a huge screen that can only receive sports and movies. No soap operas, uh, no chick flicks, you know, and all the decorations on the wall are manly. They're, they're either hunting trophies or sports paraphernalia. Uh, you know, and, you, and it's where, where the man says, honey, you can decorate everything in the house. Do not touch my room. That's a man cave. And uh, I don't have one, uh, but, uh, but I appreciate my friends who have one. And then I discovered recently that there is something called a she shed. <laughs> now, I've never been in a she shed, so I don't know what it's like. But the way I learned about it was the commercial on TV where there's this girl that had a she shed struck by lightning and is burning. And she's wondering if the insurance company is going to replace her she shed. And I'm, I'm thinking the she shed is where a woman goes to escape, to, to just be by herself. And, and I think about the fact whether you're a man or a woman, we all would like a place where we can escape, where we can get away from uh, the conflict and the complaints, where we can not have to check emails, where we don't have to worry about chores, where we don't have to worry about tasks, where we can just have 
me time. And, uh, and that's great if you can do it. Well, today's message is entitled, Getting Out of Your Cave. But, but I'm not talking about getting out of your man cave or your she shed. Uh, it's a different kind of cave. We, we're in a series on the life of David, and we've been following David along and looking at stories of his life and how they speak to us. And today, we come to a story where David spends some time in a cave. But it's not a comfy lounge where you have mixed roasted nuts and cold drinks. Uh, it, it, it's a different kind of a cave. And we find this story in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. If you'd like to go there with me, 1 Samuel 22, beginning with verse 1, reading from the NIV. And it reads like this, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab as they stayed with him as long, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. So David escaped to a cave. While, there, while he was there, there were some interesting things that happened. It was a time of waiting, a time of trying to sort out what God was up to in David's life. There was a road that led him to the cave, and there's a road that led him out of the cave. Now, like David, sometimes you and I find ourselves waiting on God, hoping to hear a word from him, hoping to see him at work. And when we find ourselves in that spot, we need to ask ourselves, what's the road that brought us there? And we need to identify what's the road that will take us out. So I'm going to point out three roads that I see here in the story of David. And the first one is the trauma road. The trauma road leads to shelter and hiding, doesn't it? When you've been hurt, when you've been, uh, when someone has hurt you, then you protect yourself, don't you? It's, it's human nature. It's a survival instinct. When you've been beaten down, you go into hiding of some kind. See, David had tried to serve King Saul. He wanted to do his best at that, but, but instead of having protection from Saul, Saul persecuted him. And when he had, I don't know, bipolar or schizophrenic episodes, Saul did, uh, David was there to try to soothe him therapeutically with his music, and even at that moment, Saul tried to kill him. And David, after really making a real effort for serving the king decided that the only way that he could save his life was to flee, and so he escaped. And he goes on to another place, to the place called Gath, and he looks for the king there, King Achish, so that he can have refuge in his house. And as he is seeking refuge with the king, the servants of Achish 
become suspicious of David. They said, this is the guy that there was a, a refrain about Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And so they began to warn the king, maybe he's coming here to kill you too. And David realizes that his life is in danger and the only thing that comes to his mind is to pretend that he's insane. That was last Sunday's message. He placed the crazy man and somehow he manages to escape this second attempt on his life by another king. So what is he supposed to do now? Where is he supposed to go? Should he go on to the next kingdom and as the next king for shelter? I mean, he's a little gun shy now. Or spear shy, if you would. David decides that he will not venture out to another king to seek his protection. Instead, he escapes to a cave. He goes into hiding. There he could have shelter. There he could be protected from anyone who wants to take his life. There he could sort out what is happening. Now, when you and I experience trauma, we also look for shelter, don't we? If we've been hurt in relationships, we tend to shelter ourselves from other relationships. And we build callous around our heart and, and do not allow ourselves to be vulnerable because we've been hurt too many times and we don't want to be hurt again. And so we hide. We harden ourselves up. We become cynical, if not grumpy. I, I'm convinced that most of the grumpy people I run into probably have experienced trauma somewhere in their lives. There's this TV drama that's based on a novel and it's set, it's really interesting because it's set at the turn of the 20th century in South Texas along the border with Mexico. And uh, the main character, uh, his name is Eli McCullough and he's uh, a rancher that is trying to develop this oil dynasty for his descendants and, and we begin to see his uh, conniving ways. And then we get flashbacks into the young Eli. Young Eli had been captured by the Comanche and he'd been their captive, and he had suffered tremendous loss and, and underwent uh, hard times and, and witnessed violence. And then we go back to the, to the present time of the older Eli McCullough, and we see him cheating and bribing and murdering and committing injustice, and we began to see a connection between a young man who experienced a lot of trauma and an older man who apparently has hardened himself up. Now, he doesn't justify his ways. Past tragedy doesn't excuse our evil deeds in the present or even in the future for that matter, but at least it points out the road that got us there. Sometimes adverse circumstances seem to stack up against us. We lose our job unexpectedly, and then a day or two after we hear that a loved one has cancer. Your wife asks you for a divorce, and then a loved one dies. And you say, I'm just recovering from the first blow, and, and here I get a second blow, and maybe a third blow. This week we're, we're praying for, for our we're so thankful for the band that led us in worship, uh, and they did a phenomenal job. We're praying for our, for our worship leader, Don Var Varlak, who has been hospitalized and is recovering, and then this week her, her father died suddenly. And, 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 and sometimes tragedy, tragedy just comes uh, 
together like that. So what do you do? You, you seek shelter, you hide, you, you look for an emotional cave where you can run away from all of these craziness. You look for a place where you can feel safe or maybe where you don't have to confront reality. The, the, the trauma road leads to shelter and hiding. And then there's another road that we see here, and it's a support path. The support path leads to courage and confidence. When life beats us down, one of the things that really matters is to have support. When we're going through a difficult time, it is so refreshing to see a familiar face, to see someone who shows up to just be with us. You know, when people go through difficult times, they don't need cliches. They don't need the little things that you post on social media. They just need somebody to show up and be present. And it makes all the difference in the world. David had fled alone, and, and he had come to the priest Ahimelech alone, and he had gone to the king Achish alone, and he had escaped from the king Achish alone, and he went into his cave alone. He was by himself, but not for long. The Bible says that when his family learned where he was, they went to him in that cave. David's brothers and parents went to where David was hiding. We don't know what was happening back home, if maybe they felt that they were in danger with Saul, or simply they just cared enough to say, we know David is afraid, he's running for his life, he's hiding in a cave, we're going to go over there and we're going to let him know he has familia. You imagine what David might have felt when he saw his family arriving in his hiding place. He had had no communication with them, he hadn't texted them, he hadn't inboxed them. He, he hadn't called them on their cell phone because they didn't have one. He had no communication when he fled with them. He had no idea when he would see them again or if he would ever see them again. I mean, he was just trying to survive. And here's in, in that cave trying to figure out what's going on. What, what is God up to? Why, why am I in this situation? And, and, and then he opens his eyes and he sees mom and dad and brothers and sisters. Imagine what he might have felt at that moment. You know, there's a, a reality show that my wife likes to watch and consists of uh, a lot of contestants being uh, sent to a, a remote island and they're there to uh, do what they can with catching fish and sleeping out in the open and see who lasts the longest. And after spending multiple days out there, they, uh, they, they're sleeping, dealing with the thunderstorms and the sun and rationed rice and catch, you know, eating coconut. And the hardest thing of the game is the social game. See, the hardest thing of life is dealing with people, right? That, that's what makes everything hard. And so they're there and, and somewhere towards the middle or the latter part of the game when, they're, when they've lost weight and they're tired and they're frustrated, they have an opportunity to see one loved one, one, one relative, and, and these people show up and they, they get to see them and then they get an opportunity to do a challenge where one of them will get to spend some time with a loved one. And it is the most emotional episode of the whole season. It is when, when the big guys cry 
And when people's hearts melt, because in, in the toughness of, of playing the game and, and facing the elements and, and trying to up, one-up everybody else, when you see someone you love, your heart melts. It, it's a game changer, literally. It, 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 it gives you uh, energy and, and courage. What an incredible difference family makes. The support path leads to courage and confidence. This fearful and discouraged David becomes confident, so confident that he goes out of the cave and he goes to the king of Moab and he says, hey, would you take care of my parents? The cave where I'm staying is not fit for them. It's too dangerous. I need them to be safe in the king's palace. Here's David who was afraid probably to go to another king. He had the confidence after he saw his parents to go and seek asylum for them. But not only did family show up for David, there were other people who also showed up to offer David support. I, I want to read the passage that we read to you from the message. This is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, and, and I think it gives it a little different flavor. So listen. It says, so David got away and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and others associated with his family heard where he was, they came down and joined him. Not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around, losers and vagrants and misfits of all sorts. David became their leader. There were about 400 in all. Then David went to Mizpah in Moab. He petitioned the king of Moab, Grant asylum to my father and mother until I find out what God has planned for me. David left his parents in the care of the king of Moab. They stayed there all through the time David was hiding out. There were 400 other people besides David's family who showed up. These were people who were disgruntled. They were probably discontent with the way that Saul was running the kingdom. Uh, and, and there were people who were in trouble with the law. It was some kind of a motley crew that showed up and said, David, we are willing to follow you. It's interesting, it's almost ironic that people that were down on their luck become the encouragement to David who might have been afraid. It is more than a case of misery loves company. It is a case of, of people who are down and out looking for a leader. It is a reminder that no matter how good a leader is or how bad a leader is, there's always going to be a group of people who are discontent. There's always going to be misfits and, and people who want to, to find a different kind of leader. And even this kind of group is used by God to encourage David. These people come out of nowhere. David doesn't recruit them. He doesn't campaign for their support. What we see here is a shift. It is God at work. God is removing, little by little, slowly, he's removing support from the powerful and seemingly ominous King Saul, and little by little, slowly but surely, he is providing support to this weak and this small David who had been anointed for king. It is underground the ground is shifting. There's a change going on. And God is at work. And what a difference it makes. Some of you know the story of, of my wife and I when we initially moved uh, from Corpus Christi to Fort Worth. And, and uh, Josh was our only child. And we were hoping for a second child. And after eight years, finally, 
uh, we were expecting Rachel and, and there was a point in the pregnancy where we thought that Monica was going to miscarry. It was a scary time. We ran to the hospital full of emotions and tears and, and uh, we figured out that the baby was okay but my wife had to stay in the hospital on bed rest for five weeks before the baby was born. And after she'd been there five weeks, finally, it, it, they couldn't hold it any longer, and the baby had to be born. So Rachel was born at two pounds, 10 ounces. She was a little thing that fit in the palm of my hand. And then we had to wait for Rachel to be there another five weeks until she could get up to like a whopping four and a half pounds and come home. And during that time, I was trying to figure out how to pastor a church in a new town how to be a single dad to Josh, how to care for a wife that was in the hospital recovering from, from a long ordeal, and how to keep up with a little two or three pound baby that was in NICU. And in the midst of that, in the city where our parents were not there yet, Monica's parents hadn't moved there yet, but we didn't know anybody, we were alone. One of the most incredible things that we experienced was the love of the church. It was church people who showed up, who visited, who prayed for us, who encouraged us, who cooked for us. And in the most difficult time of our lives, it encouraged our hearts to know that we were not alone, that we had an extended family. In the most difficult time, the support of people is a reminder of God's love, his purpose. God sent people to David at a very critical time. He was telling David through these people, David, you're not alone. The God who chose you will never leave you nor forsake you. The God who anointed you king is still in charge, is still working. When you find yourself in this cave of despair, be on the lookout for the people that God has sent your way. There's somebody that God has sent. Maybe an individual. It may be a couple. It may be a group. But, but God has placed them there to remind you that he is at work, regardless of how you feel at the moment. And there's the third road that we see in this story. And it's God's way. God's way leads to freedom and purpose. David's encouragement is, is evident in the words that he speaks to the king of Moab. He asks for the king to provide asylum for his parents while he waits on God. The message that we just read said, grant asylum to my father and mother until I find out what God has planned for me. A after his family and this small army of men show up at David's cave, David knew that God had a plan. This was a reminder to him. He didn't know what God's plan was, but he was confident that God had a plan. He didn't understand what God was doing and why he was doing it this way, but he was confident that God had a plan and that he was carrying it forward. Sometimes we have to wait on God and see what he's going to do. Sometimes we just need to wait, but we can be confident in the waiting that he'll provide a way for us, that he'll lead us out of that place. God can make a way where there seems to be no way. This is a lesson that Isaiah taught Israel when Israel didn't, couldn't make sense of their situation. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27, listen to 
what he, the prophet tells the people of God. He says, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those that hope in the Lord, those that wait in the Lord, those that trust in the Lord will renew their strength. You may find yourself in a cave. You may find yourself in a pit, but know that God will, at the due time, at the right time, will lift you up to higher ground. As David waited, God sent the word to him through a prophet. Verse 5 says, the prophet God told David, don't go back to the cave. Go to Judah. David did what he told him. He went to the forest of Hereth. You know, maybe the, the cave was necessary at first. Maybe the cave made sense at first, but, but God did not anoint David as king so that he would live in the cave. God did not choose David so that he could stay in hiding his whole life. He needed him to step out of the cave. Teresa Prikaroa was a teenager when the Nazis began to occupy Poland. And she began to notice that some of her Jewish neighbors were disappearing little by little and decided to do something about it. And they began to provide shelter and asylum for, for these Jew children, Jewish children who would otherwise end up at the Warsaw Ghetto or perhaps in a concentration camp. And she became a very well-known historian of, of World War II and the Nazi occupation of Poland. But, but it was not her historian skills, it was her courage to stand against the tide of evil that would lister with the righteous among the nations in the Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem. You see, Teresa could have chosen to hide. She could have chosen to play it safe. She could have given in to fear, but she did not. She, she stepped out of her comfort and out of the place where she was and she risked it for the sake of others, that's God's way. That's God's road. God doesn't want us to live our lives in hiding. He doesn't want us to live our lives in a cave. God's way leads to freedom and purpose. That's why Jesus came to earth. Jesus is God becoming human so that he can walk with us. Jesus is God saying to us, you are not alone. I am Emmanuel, God with you. And he didn't just come to walk with you. He came to die for you. He carried the weight of all your sin and your trauma and your disappointment and your frustration and your conflict. He carried that on the cross on his shoulders, yours and mine. 
And when he had carried it, he died. And he was buried. He was buried in the cave. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He came out of the cave so you and I don't have to live in the cave. He came out of the tomb so you and I don't have to live in fear. He came out to where he could be seen so you and I don't have to live in hiding. We can live in freedom. That's the gospel. It is liberating. Jesus came to be with us. Jesus came to die for us, and Jesus rose from the dead for us. And the only thing that we can do and that we need to do with the gospel is to receive it as a free gift. It's to say, yes, I receive what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection power so that he can change my life, so that he can redeem me. There is a way out of your situation. There is a way out of your condition. There is a way out of when you find yourself today. God has sent a word. His name is Jesus. Will you receive the word? Will you make it yours? I want to invite you today to identify the cave or the caves in your life and to discern how it is that you need to follow God out of that cave. What are the caves in your life? I, I, I believe there are good caves and bad caves. Good caves are, are like where, where you're waiting on the Lord, times in your life where you're just resting, where you're undergoing therapy or counseling, or you're going with a support group trying to sort things out. That, that's a good cave to be in, but, but it's not a cave to stay in. It's temporary. You go through it, and then eventually you, you, you come out of there. And then there are bad caves. There are, ba there are caves that you should never go into, like addiction or avoiding relationships or like the cave of, of finding your, your hope in a political party or the cave of resentment where you haven't let go, where, where you haven't forgiven or the cave of giving up on God's call in your life because something bad happened and you think that God is done with you, that he's finished with you. Or work. You know that work can be a cave? It's, it's, it's called being a workaholic. There are people that hide in their work so they don't have to confront, so they don't have to uh, have relationships, so they, don't, so they don't have to deal with things. They just hide in their work. That's a bad thing. And this is the cave of secret sins, sins you've never confessed to anybody, you've never shared with anybody, and you carry the burden in your heart, and, and it's eating away at you. Those are the kind of bad caves that you, you, don't, you just need to get out as soon as you can. And, and God's word for you today may be, listen, you may not know how to do it, but, but I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you just need to hold on to Jesus' hand and say, Lord, lead me. Whether you're in a good cave waiting on him or whether you're in a bad cave, you just need to get out. The answer is always Jesus. Would you stand with me? Father, I thank you for David's life for what you teach us through him of your faithfulness 
your providence, your sovereignty. God, I know there are people here who are hiding in caves emotionally or otherwise, spiritually. And I pray that your word today will, will ring true and that they will apply their faith and they will hold on to your hand. I pray for liberation. I pray for freedom. I pray that you pull people out of hiding. And for those who are just waiting on you, I pray for, for your grace to be abundant. I pray for courage and confidence. I pray for people around them to love them through their trial and difficulty. And God, if there's anyone here today who has not ever taken a conscious step to receive the gift of Jesus as Savior and Lord, Maybe they've grown up in church. Maybe they heard about you. Maybe their parents were, were churchgoers, but they've never made a personal commitment to trust you as Savior and Lord. That today your spirit will, will say to their heart, now is the time. If that's the case for you as, as your heads are bowed and, and you're thinking about your response to God's word today, if you need to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, you can pray a prayer of faith. You can say, Lord, I'm lost without you. And I believe that the only way out is your death on the cross and your resurrection from the dead. I believe you did that for me and I receive it. I trust you as Savior and Lord. I give you my life. Take it and put it back together. Forgive me. Restore me. Heal me. And give me hope. If you pray that prayer in faith, God will hear your prayer and will begin that work in your heart, a work of transformation. You'll become a new person. And want to encourage you in that. I want you to share that with somebody. Share it with us so that we can walk with you as you become a disciple. If God is doing something else in your life, speaking to you in another area, would you trust him? Would you release? Would you hold on to his hand and follow him wherever he leads you?